I'm glad you're here. This is a historic moment for our church. And um, for those of you who've been here from the very beginning, you'll remember way back when we first planted, I, uh, I began preaching out of the book of Ephesians, the end of chapter 3 into chapter 4. And in chapter 4, Paul says this, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And we went through that. So important to me was the issue of leadership, that that's what I began our church teaching on and working toward. And so probably for me, more than you, this has been an anticipated moment because uh, this was one of the very first things I set my hand to do in the church. But at the same time, um, there's a lot of warnings in Scripture about it. And I didn't want to be hasty. I didn't want to be naive. I didn't want to be uncircumspect in how we approach it. And then you couple that with my ignorance being uh, the first church I've ever planted, <laughs> not knowing what to do next. Um, it's been about a year and a half, approaching two years since we started um, that we're getting leadership established. And so I, I appreciate your all's patience and prayers for me in that, for us in that. And um, but but we're here and this is a great, great moment Paul, uh, Paul had told Timothy, and we're going to look at this in a little bit, but he told Timothy to pass the things that I taught you, Timothy, on to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And he set out his very last letter to Timothy, the very last letter he would ever write. He set out this vision of keep this going. Train up the next generation who can train up the next generation who can train up the next generation. And the Lord has been doing that with his church since he started the church, since the resurrection, this is his body. And throughout the centuries now, he's always been building his church. And so in a very living, real chain link back to Christ himself, this moment is linked to. And for that, when you take that in, that is an exciting truth that the Lord is established. So we've studied previously in depth about leadership. But I want to go through some points with us specifically about shepherding that is, uh, is the central theme of leadership in Scripture. The, the Lord often uses the image, imagery of a shepherd, of himself, as well as those who would lead his people, to indicate the nature, the temperament, and the work of those whom he would raise up to lead his people. It's, it's by no means, the shepherd is by no means a glamorous image to those who don't know Christ. In fact, to the world, the shepherd was often the lowest of people. But to the church, to those who are spiritually minded, it is one of the most tender and comforting images that can be used for those who would lead God's people. Here's what David famously said in Psalm 23, verse 1. He said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Asaph in Psalm 80 verse 1 said this, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. And then in the New Testament, we have a, a copy of this out front that we're going to give to both shortly. Out of John chapter 10, Jesus applies the same imagery to himself. He says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. There are many other passages that use the imagery of shepherd, but those are some of the most famous, well-known, and awesome verses indicating God is our shepherd. But we also see in the history of God's people, God decrying evil shepherds who do not lead or care for his flock. Revealing God knows uh, and cares for his sheep and is grieved that when his shepherds are not caring for his sheep, he takes action on behalf of his helpless sheep. In Jeremiah 50, verse 6, the Lord says this, My people have been lost, lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to mountain they have gone, and they have forgotten their fold. In one of our passages that we've actually went through, Ezekiel 34, very graphically, I want you to listen to what the Lord says here. He says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. 
Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My, shep- my sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and high hills. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. And in response to this dire predicament of the sheep, here's what God promises. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. It's my belief that that's what Jesus is referring to when he makes that declaration in John 10, I am the good shepherd, in fulfillment of that prophecy that he himself would become their shepherd. This tells us something, church, that the Lord cares for you as a shepherd cares for his sheep. He cares for us. He wants you to be healed when you're hurt. When you're straying, He wants the shepherds to bring you back. When you need bandaging up, He wants the shepherds to do that. He cares for His sheep. Local shepherds, pastor teachers, in this sense, has always been God's plan for leading the church. It's the appointing of men who shepherd the local congregation in both truth and love. Here's what Paul unequivocally says, as we just read in Ephesians 4, that he gives to the church apostles first, prophets, evangelists, and as the ESV translates it, the shepherds. Some Bibles translate that as pastors. The work of a pastor is shepherding. And so in the truest sense, Bo and Duane are pastors. They are going to be shepherding your souls. They may not be full-time ministry as I am in the same sense, but they are pastor shepherds. And as I quoted earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, Paul says to Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations, Paul Paul outlines there, Paul to Timothy, Timothy to others, others to faithful men who will teach others also. So, the work of a shepherd, the work of a pastor, is that we are to intercede for and to lead the people of God. You are God's fold, you are his flock, you are his people, he cares for you, and he appoints the pastors to lead, to care for, to intercede for. And so because of that, the work of shepherding is a serious work. It's a sobering, scary, overwhelming work in many senses. It's sobering because of the weightiness of it. We're going to give an account, according to Hebrews 13, 17, for your soul. Here's what the scripture says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And so these men, we're going to take vows in a minute. When they take vows, what they're saying is, I'm willing to take on the responsibility of giving an account for you. That's sobering, and that's very weighty. It's also sobering and weighty knowing that you are God's sheep. It's one thing to to have your own possession, and you treat it how you want. But this is an entrustment. You are God's sheep, as he said in Ezekiel. You shepherds have not cared for my sheep. So this is an entrustment from the Lord. To summarize Ezekiel 34 again, when you are weak, we are to strengthen you. When you are sick, we are to heal. When you're injured, we are to bind up. When you stray, we are to bring back. When you are lost, we are to seek after you. And we are to lead you with gentleness and humility as opposed to force and harshness. 
What's more, it's sobering knowing that some sheep that we care for may leave the fold. They may harden their heart because of sin in their life or because of stances the churches make or because of things that we teach. There's a whole number of things. And so the shepherd may be forced in many cases to stand alone in a very unpopular stance, perhaps. But that's the work. Lay people have the perception, at least, that for them they can leave a church whenever they want. At the first instance or glance of being disgruntled, they don't have to endure with the church. They can just leave and find a new one. Not so with the shepherd. You see, shepherds don't have the option of abandoning the sheep because of frustrations with them. We don't have that option. Rather, as Jesus said, the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. So it's a sacrificial work that the shepherd takes upon himself. One that will incur personal, emotional, spiritual, and perhaps even physical cost. Satan knows this temptation for the shepherd. He says in Zechariah, prophecy of Christ, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But that truth is still true for us. Shepherds are going to be more prone to spiritual attack. Why? Because you strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And so it's weightiness in that sense as well. We know now we are a target, especially of satanic attack. Nonetheless, shepherds are to be bold. They're to be courageous, knowing that the shepherd is to protect the sheep from the prowling lion who seeks to devour their soul. So it exposes us to more attacks, more pressure, anger, hatred, frustration, hostilities, sometimes from the church, most of the time from the culture, which is Satan's public avenue for attacking the saints. But that's the calling of a shepherd. We understand that our stances may not be culturally popular, and so we may stand alone in that but that's okay. Nonetheless, despite the sobriety of the work and calling, it's also a calling full of hope, full of joy, full of expectation, and full of great reward. The greatest crown and reward, according to Scripture, is you yourself. I want to read some passages. If you have your Bible, you can read these with us. Paul tells the church at Philippi this. This is in chapter 4, verse 1 a church he was particularly fond of, as I am of Waypoint. Here's what Paul says to that church, Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. You see, Paul viewed those people he got to lead and shepherd as his crown, his work. He says to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, For what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. And then he tells the church at Corinth this in 2 Corinthians 1.14, On the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. So it will be of our relationship to you, Waypoint. Our shepherding task will lead to great joy. It will lead to hardships. But in the end, when we stand before the Lord our God, you're our boast. What we've done with your souls will be our work. It will be our tablet for all to see. So our goal as a shepherd is faithfulness to God. That's what Paul said is required of any steward, that he be found faithful. That's what our task, our goal is. We want faithfulness to God, and we want to be faithful to God by being faithful to you in our duties of shepherding. As Paul said to the church at Ephesus in Acts 20, I withheld nothing profitable from you. And what that means is this. Profitable in the sense of building you up or even maybe rebuking. If you needed it and it was profitable, we are not to fear men. We want to build you up. And there will be those times. There are several imperatives in Scripture to fulfill the ministry of shepherding. 
For instance, in Colossians 4.17, Paul tells Archippus this. He says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. This is a ministry that the Lord is giving us. And it's one that we don't just, it's not a luxury cruise line that we get to go on. We want to fulfill the ministry that the Lord gives us. See to it, Paul said. And then among Paul's final encouragements, some of the very last words Paul would ever tell his beloved Timothy, his son in the faith, were these words, as for you, and Rhonda has this quoted up there, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. If Paul thought it that important to include it in the very last words he could ever say, it's important to us to take note of. It's a charge. It's an imperative for anyone who would lead. Here's some of the things in summary of what we as elders are charged with. And this is not an exhaustive list. One, we're to refute error according to Titus 1.9. We're also to avoid myths. We're to train up for godliness according to 1 Timothy 4.7. We are to model hope in God. Meaning when times look desperate, and we're desperate, we need to be models of what hope looks like in desperate times. We are to command certain things according to 1 Timothy 4.11. We are to be examples according to 1 Timothy 4.12. We are to let no one despise our youthfulness. And Dwayne, yes, you are included in that. I say that because in our circle, he's joked about being the grandpa and you are by no means. We are to teach and we are to instruct according to Titus 1.9. We are to personally grow, according to 1 Timothy 4.15. This is not something that we've now arrived at, and now we get to drop anchor and coast. We are to personally keep growing. We are to personally watch our life. We are to personally watch our doctrine. As we read in Ephesians 4, we are to equip you. Have discernment, insight on how we can best equip you to do the work of ministry. And as I just said, we are to be faithful stewards. And as I said, that's not exhaustive. But having examined briefly what an eldership is, I want, I want to address Bo and Duane particularly now. So we're going to go through some vows. Um, and these, are, these first vows are for Bo and Duane. And I'll, uh, I'll read the vow and then you guys can respond. Um, and then what I'll have one of you do, if you don't mind, is read it for me. Okay. The vows will be up here. You guys can read along. And I want to, before I do this, I do want to say this. Um, I want to thank Bo and Duane. It's an intimidating task to ask somebody to do this. And when I nominated them, I knew that I was nominating them to a lot of hardship as well. And so I don't take it lightly. So thank you guys. Bo, do you hear publicly? Reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, acknowledging Him as Lord of all and as head of the church. I do. Dwayne, do you here publicly affirm your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, acknowledging Him as Lord of all and as head of the church? I do. Bo, do you believe the Scriptures of both the Old and New Testament to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, and our supreme and final authority in both faith and practice? I do. Dwayne, do you believe the Scriptures both Old and New Testaments, to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit and our supreme and final authority in both faith and practice. I do. Do you sincerely believe, receive, and adopt the essential tenets of the faith as expressed in our own statement of faith to be a reliable exposition of what Scripture has led us to believe and do? I do. Duane, do you sincerely believe, receive, and adopt the essential tenets of the faith as expressed in our own statement of faith to be reliable expositions of what Scripture has led us to believe and do? I do. 
If at any time you find yourself out of accord with any part of our statement of faith, will you on your own initiative make known to your fellow elders the change which has taken place in your view? I will. Dwayne, if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any part of our statement of faith, will you on your own initiative make known to your fellow elders the change which has taken place in your view? I will. Bo, do you willingly subscribe to both the government and the discipline of Waypoint Christian Church? I do. Dwayne, do you willingly subscribe to both the government and the discipline of Waypoint Christian Church? I do. Bo, will you endeavor by God's grace and strength, having put your hand to this plow, fulfill your office in obedience to Jesus Christ, being continually guided by the Holy Spirit under the authority of Scripture? I will. Dwayne, will you endeavor by God's grace and strength, having put your hand to this plow, fulfill your office in obedience to Jesus Christ, being continually guided by the Holy Spirit under the authority of Scripture? I will. Bo, do you promise to be mutually submissive to your fellow elders in the Lord, loving them, listening to them, and any other fellow workers or colleagues at Waypoint Christian Church, working with them for the mutual upbuilding and peace of the body? I do. Duane, do you promise to be mutually submissive to your fellow elders in the Lord, loving them, listening to them, and any fellow, other fellow workers or colleagues at Waypoint Christian Church, working with them for the mutual upbuilding of, and peace of the body? I do. Bo, do you promise to be both zealous and faithful in promoting and teaching the gospel, whatever persecution or opposition may arise against you on account of it? I do. Dwayne, do you promise to be both zealous and faithful in promoting and teaching the gospel, whatever persecution or opposition may arise against you on account of it? I do. Bo, will you endeavor in all your duties as an elder to be an example and faithful, whether private or, or public, to adorn the gospel in your manner of life and walk in a manner worthy to, be, to the calling to which you've been called? I will. Dwayne, will you endeavor in all your duties as an elder to be an example and faithful, whether private or public, to adorn the gospel in your manner of life and walk in a manner worthy to the calling to which you've been called. I will. Bo, do you promise to lead with humility of heart and love for the people entrusted to you to shepherd? I do. Dwayne, do you promise to lead with humility of heart and love for the people entrusted to you to shepherd? I do. And finally, are you willing now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this church as elders, to oversee the ministry of the church, devoting yourselves to prayer, the ministry of the word, and to the shepherding of God's flock in the grace, truth, and righteousness found in Jesus Christ our Lord. I am. Duane, are you now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this church as elders, to oversee the ministry of the church, devoting yourself to prayer, the ministry of the word, and to the shepherding of God's flock in the grace, truth, and righteousness found in Jesus Christ our Lord. I am. Okay, so Seth, we'll ask you these same questions. Yep. Seth, do you here publicly reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, acknowledging him as Lord of all and as head of the church? I do. Seth, do you believe the scriptures of both Old and New Testaments to be the word of God? totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, and our supreme and final authority in both faith and practice. I do. Do you sincerely believe, receive, and adopt the essential tenets of the faith as expressed in our own statement of faith to be reliable expositions of what Scripture has led us to believe and do? I do. You wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> If at any time you find yourself out of accord with any part of our statement of faith, will you, on your own initiative, make known to your fellow elders the change which has taken place in your views? I will. Do you willingly subscribe to both the government and the discipline of Waypoint Christian Church? I do. Will you endeavor, by God's grace and strength, having put your hand to this plow, fulfill your office in obedience to Jesus Christ, been continually guided by the Holy Spirit under the authority of Scripture. I will. Do you promise to be mutually submissive to your fellow elders in the Lord, loving them, listening to them, 
and any other fellow workers or colleagues at Waypoint Christian Church working with them for the mutual upbuilding and peace of the body. I do. Do you promise to be both zealous and faithful in promoting and teaching the gospel, whatever persecution or opposition may arise against you on account of it? I do. Will you endeavor in all your duties as an elder to be an example and faithful, whether private or public, to adorn the gospel in your manner of life and walk in a manner worthy to the calling to which you have been called? Well, do you promise to lead with humility of heart and love for the people entrusted to you to shepherd? I do. And finally, are you now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this church as elders to oversee the ministry of the church, devoting yourself to prayer, the ministry of the word, and to the shepherding of God's flock in the grace, truth, and righteousness found in Jesus Christ our Lord? I am. So you all aren't getting off without taking some vows either. <laughs> Hebrews 13. The relationship between an elder and the people of his church is a special relationship. And it's one, scripturally, it's one of honor. It's one of respect. It's one of mutual understanding, mutual submission to one another. But nonetheless, there's also a relationship of authority where the elders are tasked to lead. And so because of that, there's people they lead, people involved. And oftentimes in, in an elder dynamic within a church, you, you hear verse 17 quoted of Hebrews 13, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. The church is to obey and submit to the leaders, but it's not a blind submission. And I wanted to include in that verse 7, which is the context of verse 17. Verse 7 of Hebrews 13 says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The Bible never calls anybody to simply submit to anything. It calls you first to watch us. And that's why in our process of examination, we presented ourselves to you for you to watch us. And so long as our life is worthy of imitation, you are to submit to it. If our life is not and our doctrine is not, you are not to submit to it. And so it's not a blind submission that we're asking you to undertake. Nonetheless, when, when we presented ourselves to you for examination, um, we found more wrong with us than a, maybe was presented to us by you guys. But um, you're going to also enter into a vow with us as we enter in a vow to lead you. So I'm going to lead you and I want you to respond if you are willing to accept us as elders. Do you members at Waypoint Christian Church acknowledge publicly and willingly Seth Ellsworth, Dwayne Hill, and Bo Stevens as elders, being God's provision according to Ephesians 4 to this church to lead and equip us in the way and truth of Jesus Christ? And second, will you commit yourselves to loving and praying for us in our ministry and work together with us humbly and cheerfully that by the grace of God, we may all accomplish the mission of the church, giving us due respect and support in our positions to which the Lord has called us, that the Lord Jesus and God the Father might be honored and glorified in all we do. In connection with that, we have a, I wrote a letter um, for Rhonda to print out. And after this is over, um, I'll ask you to sign it. It's a letter saying you will pray for us, that you'll intercede for us and take us before the throne room of grace because we'll need it often and we'll need it much. And so if you desire to put your name on that, what we're going to do, uh, I'll present some gifts here in a minute to Bo and Dwayne, is we'll include that letter in the gifts as a reminder to us that our church is praying for us in what we're called to do. And that would be a great encouragement for us, and especially in, in hardships and hard times. What I would like to do is ask Bo and Duane to just bring your 
chairs up here. Biblically, the laying on of hands is what symbolizes the transfer of authority. I don't want to simply say that. I'm going to read a few passages from which we get this. In Acts chapter 6, for instance, when the first deacons were called out and set apart, presented to the apostles, it says this in Acts 6, 6, These they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. A symbol of the apostles publicly affirming and giving authority to these men to fulfill that office and work. And then in Acts chapter 13, when Paul and Barnabas are set apart for the work, here's what the Holy Spirit says to them. This is Acts 13, verse, verse 2. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so the church at Antioch symbolically lays their hands on Saul and Barnabas, indicating they are going in the authority of the church out for the cause of the gospel. And so that's what we're going to do now. But how I'm going to do this is, um, for those of you who don't know, I have been an ordained pastor. Now, I've not been an ordained elder in this church. And so I'm submitting to this process as well, but I am an ordained pastor in our previous church. And so I'm going to privately pray for Dwayne and pray for Bo, and then they're going to turn around and pray for me. And so while we're doing that, you can uh, just be respectful and intercede for us if you want. But then I'm going to call the church up. And as a symbolic act, you guys are going to lay your hands on all of us. And uh, um, I may ask, Travis, are you around? Where'd Travis go? There he is. I may ask Travis to lead the church in prayer, if that's okay for us. Okay, at that point. So I'm going to pray for Bone Dwayne. And you guys intercede for us, please. At this time, I'll invite the church up, and uh, Travis will lead you in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day, Father. Thank you that we just get to come before you, Father, and just uh, be a part of this special ceremony, Father, and just uh, be able to have elders in the church, Father, and just men that are willing to shepherd the body, Father, to be teachers and be pastors and, and just... Uh, Love us, Father, even though sometimes we are unlovable and uh, they're willing to come alongside us, pray for us um, when we're suffering, Father, when there's joy and there's praise, Father, that we would come before you and they would come before you, Father. And I, I just pray, Father, that we don't forget to pray for this, these men, these families, that um, and just the role that they're taking on, Father, to be an example, Father, for that, and that uh, they're willing to serve Father, and I pray, Father, that we would be a church that would serve also, Father, that when we see a need, we would just be there to um, jump in to help, Father, and uh, I thank you for the men that have done that already, for these three men, Father, as they've submitted to just the examining of their cells, to you, Father, to each other, to the church, that um, as we just continue to move forward, Father, that we would just be um, willing to pray for them you know, and, and not forget that, Father, because sometimes we are going to fail and they're going to fail, Father, and that we would remember that and we'd come alongside of them to bear one another's burdens as your scripture calls us to do, to love each other, Father, for that. I thank you for this time. Thank you for this service. And I pray that you'd be honored and glorified. Amen. One well, beknownst to me, my brother was making his way down and I was completely shocked when he walked in. For those of you who don't know, this is my brother Ryan. We'll go and invite him up. Um, he's also a fellow elder and pastor of a church in Santa Fe and uh, has helped me immensely in innumerable times um, throughout our process. He uh, was used to plant a church, City of Faith in Santa Fe, seven years in now? Eight, Eight years in. So he's, he's positively experience now <laughs> but he he had something to say and, and present i guess yeah. and asked if he could have a moment yeah thank you um i've known a lot of you for a long time you remember me when i didn't have hair on my face <laughs> but i had some on my head and um 
My dad did something very special for me once um, that uh, meant a lot. And um, we, we made it a part of our uh, ordaining of elders. This is a very special and unique day for you because you're not just appointing elders, you're installing an eldership, a body of men to shepherd the flock. And when the Lord raised up David, the shepherd of Israel, the scripture says that it's because the Lord loved Israel that he made you, David, king. And it's because the Lord loves his church that he appoints shepherds over it. Men, yes, fallible, sinful, but also godly. They're to be the best of men, but the best of men are still men at best, as it's been said. They need your prayers. Seth said that there's a time that you examine them, but I want to see a show of hands. How many of you have known these men for more than three years? I would submit to you that the time you examined them was not recently. About three to four years ago, I sat in my sister's house with my mom in tears about what was happening to her youngest son. And she wasn't too happy with me that I smiled back, said, oh, mom, this gives me more confidence than anything that God is preparing him to be a great pastor and that God is going to use him. If you're familiar with the Bible, there is a very rich theology of suffering in the scripture. The promise of suffering and affliction and hardship is a promise. It's just one we usually don't underline in our Bibles. So you've seen these men tested. You've seen them refined. One of the things that we do at our church, right, a good farmer and a good soldier always loves a good knife, right? <laughs> this isn't a, uh, any knife, though. My dad and I um, got three of these that we would like to present to Seth, Dwayne, and Bo. This is Damascus steel. It's said that the art of making a Damascus steel knife has nearly been lost because it was such a hidden art, such a difficult thing to do. In the Crusades, they had Damascus steel swords, and those Damascus steel swords could cut through another crusader's sword, cut it in half, and not even dull the blade of the Damascus steel. See, there's a way that Damascus steel is made. If you look at it, and you'll get to see these guys' knives afterwards, it's got little tiny wavy lines over it. It's heated to 1,500 degrees, and then the steel is pounded and folded back, and pounded and folded back, and pounded and folded back. And it's folded sometimes at least 500 times, and that produces these little unique wavy lines. It's incredibly sharp, because it's so heated, because of the makeup that goes into the steel, it has something that's called in knife world, super plasticity. What that means is that the blade is incredibly flexible and bendable and won't break. And yet at the same time, it's incredibly hard. It's unique because it can be so hard and yet so flexible. The reason that it can bend so much and yet be so firm is because of how it's forged. It is pounded, it is pounded, it is pounded. It is put in a hot, hot, hot fire over and over and over. And in our church, when we ordain elders, the reason we give them one of these is because we teach them, they've already seen it at that point, and we teach the church that is how God makes his men. Every blade is unique because of the pattern on it, just like every man is unique, every leader is unique. But there's a refining process that takes place. So it's just a handy little reminder of how God makes his men. Suffering in God's hands is sort of like the fishes and the loaves of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. You come and you go, Lord, look at my life. What is this among so many? Look at the things I've been through. I feel almost less worthy and less usable now. And yet when it's all said and done in the hands of Jesus Christ, there is far more in the fragments that are taken up from the suffering than in what you put into it. So we want to present one to each one of you. Seth, we have one for you. Dwayne, 
Bo, I want to tell you guys, as one shepherd to another, congratulations. It's just been a joy to watch Waypoint start, watch God refine you. Never had a doubt. Never had a doubt. As painful as it is to go through, and I know the pain that you go through, and that you will. But I want to say this. It's always worth it. Because Christ is always worth it. You're going to have times that are going to be hard. It's going to be hard on your wife. I know they ask you to pray for them, but pray for their wives every time too. I can tell you guys, it's worth it. By the grace of God, when you're faithful, you will stand one day in glory. And as Paul says, the things that you go through in order to faithfully shepherd the flock which God purchased with his own blood, you remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. The sufferings, the afflictions we go through now are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will follow. Paul doesn't say, you put it on the scale and the glory wins. He says, don't even put it on the scale. It's not worthy to be compared. The things you go through now will be short, temporary, it will be light. The glory will be weighty and forever. So God's installed this eldership, and God's made you men elders. You just see his bride safely home. That's all. Thank you for letting me share. He's a preacher. He's used to having the mic. <laughs> He's not a Baptist, but you can throw in an amen every now and then. Um, I'll invite Jill up here. I also got a few gifts for Bo and Dwayne. Um, and Ryan led me in this direction to kind of think of something unique for us as being the first eldership. And uh, so I contacted my father-in-law, who is, as you might know, is a farmer. I said, hey, do you have any extra plow heads? And uh, Bo, can you tell me, Bo's a farmer, can you tell me what kind of plow head this is? Man, you're good. And it's, it's used to clear. Yeah. Cool. That's right. And I know that's right. <laughs> um, I got two of these. The other one's still over there. I got one for, for Bo and Dwayne. So don't use this on your plow, all right? That's right. <laughs> I'll buy you a hoe. <laughs> I had en engraved on here the scripture reference, Luke 9.62. And um, that's the verse where Jesus says, He who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. Now, obviously, it's not talking in context about an eldership, but it's applicable to the work, I think, in that the sobriety and seriousness of what we're putting our hand to is not fit for someone who's not fully dedicated to it. And so use this as a reminder of what it is that we're doing, as Ryan said, we're leading the Bride of Christ, and it's one that's fully committed with all of our heart, and there's great reward in it. So each of you have one of these. You can uh, try and hang it, put it on your desk or whatever. I'll let Drew and, and Rhonda decide how, how to best decorate. Um, but I also wanted to do something Ryan did for me, which was really cool. Um, he had gotten me, when I was ordained, a uh, leaf out of an old Luther Bible. I can't remember the date. 1590s. Um, as a gift. And so I wanted to do something like that for Bo and Duane. And I wanted to pick a passage that was specific to each of them. And so fortunately we found it. This is a, an old Bible leaf. Um, an original... the. Authenticity is on the back. I'm going to read it to you. The, uh, it says, This is an original leaf from an early printing of the Geneva Bible, printed from 1560 to 1644. Um, so we're not sure quite the exact date, but uh, between 1560 and 1664. This one is to, to Duane, and the passage I wanted to find was out of Acts 20, 28, uh, which is where Paul commands uh, the elders at Ephesus to, to shepherd the flock. Uh, um, take great care and watch over them. And uh, Dwayne and Rhonda, to me, emblazon that on the ministry of this church. And it truly is a partnership. You two, more than anyone I know, care for people. And uh, 
and you take it seriously. Many times, and Bo can attest to this, Dwayne um, has voiced his hesitancy simply from the fact of the weightiness of what it is to care for you. And so you need to know that. He takes caring for your souls very, very seriously. Um, and so this is a, an original leaf. Uh, the first Bible this is the Bible the Puritans used. Um, very cool. For Bo, it's the same thing. It's a, it's a leaf out of the Geneva Bible. The passage I wanted to find for Bo was out of the Gospel of John, chapter 10, which we quoted, which is where Jesus says he's the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And since we've known Bo and Drew, we've known you guys to lay down your lives for people constantly. So that passage often reminds me of you guys. You embody it, you live it, and uh, I want this to remind you of it to keep it up. So with that, um, I appreciate your patience as a body this morning uh, with us in this. It's, a, it's important. It's uh, scriptural. And so we're excited to do that. But I also know it uh, takes a little bit of long suffering for you to set through this. But uh, I think it's also symbolic of what a church does. We, we suffer and are patient with one another. And... Uh, I wanted, uh, on behalf of Waypoint, we have two things um, that we wanted to present to Seth this morning. Um, these are uh, two volume index of uh, works of John Bunyan, and they are old. <laughs> All the better. And if you know Seth, the older the better. Um, and fortunately, we knew somebody in the book business that could uh, help us out with that. And I was going to say, your brother. Familiar. But uh, Seth, we truly appreciate um, you and your commitment to this church. And uh, I question the sanity of anybody that wants to plant a church um, because it's not something that anybody uh, should naturally desire in their own flesh. But it is something that you have been called to by God and something that you've walked faithfully in and uh, something that Seth said earlier really hit a chord with me uh, and that I didn't fully realize uh, until getting into this quite a bit um, but when we were nominated or when Seth um, nominated us to be appointed as elders uh, he was nominating us and appointing us to hardship and that has come to fruition in a lot of ways over the last year um, but in ways that are nonetheless rewarding. Mm. In as much hardship um, as Dwayne and I may feel at times, uh, it is just magnified with you mm. and the role that you serve in this church. And so I've said it to you privately, and I'll say it publicly. Um, Seth puts himself out here week in and week out, uh, whether it's leading worship or preaching or teaching or ministering or meeting uh, with on a private level, um, he is putting himself out there time and time again um, to be examined, to be criticized, to be uh, looked at critically uh, through scripture, looked at critically through our own flesh and uh, our own eyes. And he does it week after week, not because he wants spotlight or wants to be um, examined on a weekly basis, but he does it because he loves the people and he's been called to this by God. And I appreciate your faithfulness to serve. Thank you. Thank you, Bo. Getting over 40 is fun. <laughs> you have to have a pair of glasses everywhere you go. So, <laughs> Anyways, uh, most people would call this a plaque. I'm gonna call it a... We have become very close last year. And it's been... I'm sorry, guys. Uh, I'm going to call this an Ebenezer for Seth. Hang it on the wall or your desk, wherever you want. But every time you walk by it, just remember how good God is and what he has done for you, especially on this day. It's a good memory, a good time. So this is not a plaque. It's be an Ebenezer for you. Uh, I'll try to read it if I can. It's kind of in some pretty good English uh, font here, but it's out of 2 Timothy 4, 1, 2, and 5. Preach the word, and that saith, he loves teaching. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by this appearing in his kingdom, 
Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Mm-hmm. Pastor Seth Elders. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, guys. I, I do want to say in closing, um, this was a unique situation with this church plan, as most of you know. As Ryan had you raise your hand of how many of you knew me um, for longer than three years, and that's the majority of you. And so it's been an absolute joy to walk through various seasons of life with most of you. Um, it, it was kind of funny when, uh, when we're starting, Ken told me, hey, there's a new family here, you know, and so I look and it was Jonathan. <laughs> I said, no, that was Jonathan Hill. <laughs> and, and I've known Jonathan since he was my kid's age. And so, you know, that's kind of our history here. We go way back and... Um, I love you. I love you, people. I love. Uh, I love you with all my heart. And so it's an absolute joy um, to be with you in partnership with this. So thank you guys for this hour. I want to close in prayer, and then um, we'll we'll set up and fellowship and eat. We've got cake and pizza, and I think Terry made some more cake. And then there's some more cakes. So <laughs> let's pray. Father, thank you so much just for this loving body. Um, Father, for the love that Bo and Dwayne and I constantly feel and the encouragement we get from them, Lord, I pray that we can reciprocate that back. Um, Father, how the shepherd loves his sheep. He knows them by name. Father, may we know this church on an intimate level. And Father, care for their souls with gentleness, with truth, with humility, with long-suffering, with patience. Father, just as you care for us. And Father, uh, may we with, with great boasting, um, when we stand before you, rejoice loudly over the work that you're doing and will do. And Father, you've just been a good God. You've been a faithful God to us through many seasons. And we look to you to still be. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.